0: This is the Plant-Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to my first episode of 2023. Just a quick update on my end. For those that listened to my last episode, there was a mention of me making my MMA debut for the end of December. Unfortunately, my opponent pulled out of the fight with less than one week's notice, so the fight did not end up happening. I was pretty disappointed, but I'm still planning to fight MMA, but I've just been having a hard time lining up the fight promotions with the rest of my schedule. I'm essentially just about done medical school, and I actually just wrapped up my residency interviews last week. So I have several upcoming exams, and needless to say, I just haven't been able to commit to diving back into a full fight camp, but I'm still training a lot and have enjoyed competing in some local grappling tournaments. That's enough about me, though. I hope all of you have had a great start to your new year and are well on your way to crushing some achievements. All right, now on to my guest for this conversation. I had the pleasure of interviewing Coach Claire Bartholik, known on social media as The Planted Runner. Claire is an athlete herself, and she actually went from a 4.02 first marathon all the way to a 2.58 finishing time at age 42, also completely plant-based. She's a multiple-time Boston Marathon qualifier, state master's marathon champion, and a competitive master's athlete. She now coaches vegan, plant-based, and plant-curious runners to achieve the same dramatic success, from those on a walk-run program, general fitness, all the way up to high-level athletes. Her coaching philosophy combines science-based training, plant-based running nutrition, and proven mindset techniques to unlock every runner's true potential. She's a certified running coach, a sports nutrition specialist, host of the Planted Runner podcast, and she's now the author of the Planted Runner book. We discuss everything from nutrition for running, the downsides of running fasted, the biggest mistakes people make when training for a race, how to become a faster runner, when to schedule strength training, treadmill running, and honestly, so much more. I also just need to apologize, I had some technical difficulties while recording, so if a couple sections seem a little bit choppy, that is why. Regardless, I truly hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi Claire, welcome to the podcast, it's so great to have you here today. Thanks for inviting me, Cass, good to be here. Yeah, there's honestly, there's so much I want to discuss with you today, but maybe before we get into some of the details, I'd personally love to hear how you became a runner. Was it something that always came naturally to you?
1: Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So the the long version starts when I was a kid. Um, My dad was a runner, but not competitively or anything like that. He would run three miles a day or 5K a day and um, every other day and in the morning before breakfast and mark it on his calendar. He never raced. He never tried to be faster. He just did that for fitness. And um, then uh, when he was in his 40s, so I was young, maybe I guess I was probably 12 or something like that. He went on an outward bound trip in Colorado, which, you know, is, is sort of an outdoor adventure kind of trip. And he came back and it was great. And I was super inspired. I wanted to do it. And he said, well, they run half marathons at the end. So you'll have to be able to, you know, run that if you want to go. And so- I trained all summer uh, using, you know, I I ran with my Walkman and my Top Gun soundtrack, you know, <laughs> and and I didn't know what I was doing. I just went on and ran. And at the end, when we ran that half marathon, I beat all the boys. So I was Ooh. just like, huh, maybe I'm pretty good at that, at this. But I had other interests in high school and I did join the track team and then quit after one meet when I came in dead last. And then... <laughs> And then no more running for a long time until my 20s. I started running kind of to get over a breakup and ended up running a half marathon and did okay. But then I ended up getting back together with the guy and stopped running after that. So um, there's been fits and starts. So the the time that it really stuck, though, was in my 30s when I was trying to get in shape for uh, my high school reunion. And so I'm like, well, I'll go out and run. I know that's, um, you know, cheap and easy. Well, not easy, but, you know, simple. And I hated every step. I hated running for probably a year. But I did get in good shape and my reunion came and went and I was like, I don't really want to lose all this fitness. So what if I go run that half marathon, the same one that I ran in my 20s? And so I did that and I beat my time um, by like, I don't know, five or six minutes. And after that, I was like, well, this is pretty cool. And a friend of mine um, was running the Boston Marathon. I said, well, I should run the Boston Marathon. And at the time, I did not know that you actually have to be pretty fast to run the Boston Marathon, and you have to run another marathon first. Uh, so, I did that. Eventually, went to Boston, and you know, and the rest is history. So, it, it took a while for running to stick, but it finally did.
0: That's so cool. I love your story, Action. I honestly think it's good for people to hear that you hated running at first, because I think so often people they go up for a couple runs and they like it's not a fun thing. If you're out of shape, it's hard, you sweat, you're, you hurt. So that's really good to hear that over time you develop that passion. And it wasn't something that was like immediate from the start.
1: And I would like to emphasize that running still sucks at times, even for the best (laughs) of the best, even for people that absolutely love it or do it for a living.
0: I'd love to just ask a little bit more details on the Boston marathon, because like, what a race. Can you share what the experience was like running this for the first time for you?
1: So Boston is worth all the hype. So if you are not a runner or not a marathon runner, you might not understand what the big deal is, but there are six major marathons. They're called the majors and Boston is one of them. And Boston does have some pretty tough qualifying standards. So you either have to run a marathon and meet the um, qualifying standards and they change for your age group. Um, Or you have to, you can run for charity. So you raise a lot of money and then you don't have to be super fast. But in order to get a charity spot, you have to raise a lot of money. I'm talking like $10,000 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, most people are going to try to qualify by time, and it's um you know a big goal for marathoners, and so I was fortunate enough. I got I qualified on my second try by just ninety seconds, and that year that was good enough to make it. And so um, when I got to Boston. It was a horrible, horrible race day. It was 45 degrees and raining, so very cold, wet. And, you know, one of the cardinal rules is never anything new on race day. Well, I wasn't expecting it to be so cold, so I had to have some extra layers and extra hat. But um, I really wasn't expecting A ton because I, you know, this was only my third marathon and I was just going for it. And the crowds are insane. They're absolutely just pumping you up. Even in the pouring rain, there's tons of crowd, you know, there's tons of people out there. It is, they have the day off in Boston. And so they are just going there and absolutely it's a big party for the, um, for the people who are watching. And so You know, I, I just, just going along, super excited. I ended up, um, getting a personal record there, even in the rain. And it was just like crossing that finish line, tears running down my face. I mean, all the emotions, all the feels, um, it absolutely, you know, going to these big races is a pain is expensive. The logistics are crazy, all of that and it's totally, totally worth it. (laughs) That's
0: so amazing. I can't imagine what an experience. Mm -hmm. So you're well known for being plant-based. Were you plant-based at the time that you ran the Boston Marathon? Like when did you make this transition?
1: So, I've been plant based for about 10 years, like you. So, um, and I started the whole marathon running journey a little bit after, maybe six months after. Okay. So, basically, I've always been plant based in my running life, um, at least this iteration of it. So, a lot of people ask me, you know, how have plants helped you in your running career? And I'm just like, well, I've always been this way. So, I can't, I don't have some magical before and after story for. For you, but I will say that I haven't been injured and I'm still, uh, I'm still running. So plants have worked for me.
0: So I know you coach a lot of runners now, so you've kind of made that transition between athlete very well. You're obviously still, you're always an athlete, but you, my understanding is you don't run as many races now as before. And your focus has now shifted to helping other people like achieve their running goals. Is that true?
1: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So,
1: you know, when I was running marathons, uh, racing marathons, it it was obviously for me and my accomplishments. And it was a really big uh, thing in my life to be able to do and work really hard. Like, I'm a worker bee, I love accomplishing things. I love putting my head down, I love checking off boxes. But when I finally got my sub three hour marathon at the age of 42, Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, well, what's next? Like I knew how hard that was to get. And for me, it's not interesting to me to keep on training the same thing, the same way for the same thing, just to shave off a minute or shave off 30 seconds. That's not, that's not compelling to me, but to share what I've learned through my journey and to help other people reach big, massive goals. Like that's so much more fun than anything that I ever did for myself. Like it's, it's just, and they do all the hard work, you know, (laughs) like I don't have to train as hard anymore, but I mean, I still train hard, but not in the same way. And Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's just really gratifying to be able to help people. You know, I do sometimes sometimes, A little FOMO when I, you know, see people lining up for a marathon, but then I'm just like, no, 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 no. Um, I never say never, I might race again, but it really doesn't always bring out the best in me. The competition side, I love training and I love crossing the finish line, I love working hard and doing something hard and doing it well, but always having to compete to get that feeling that started to not be so rewarding to me. Um, but helping other people achieve really massive things, especially normal people, they're not professionals. They're not, you know, they have a job and kids and a life and stuff. It, it feels really good to work hard and to pull something off. And now I get to do that at scale. So it's, it's way more fun than whatever I was doing for myself.
0: I love that. And I can just, I can hear the passion in your voice as you're talking about it. And I think all the athletes that work with you, very lucky. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but you just recently released a book. I understand the planted runner, which I was very lucky to have, a like a, you sent me a ebook like version of it. So I was able to read through it. I learned so much. I didn't, wasn't able to read it in depth, but yeah. Yeah. One of the things you start off with talking about, it's obviously the planted runner. So you recommend a plant-based diet for athletes. Can you just, runners in particular, can you just maybe in brief, like why do you recommend this to athletes and what are some of the benefits?
1: Yeah. So the first thing to know about me and my style is that, you know, I'm plant-based. I think it's great. I, but I am not an evangelist. So I am not trying to change anybody's mind. I'm more like if you have already made that decision or if you're plant curious, or if you, if you've already read about some of these, the reasons why it's beneficial, then coming to me is kind of the next step because I can show you how to implement it. So, you know, there are a lot of really great reasons to go plant-based and I'm sure you talk about that a lot on your show. Um, but I feel like that's not necessarily my role to keep talking about how great it is. Mm -hmm. I honestly think from all the science that I've read that if you're 80% or 90% plant-based, that is from a health point of view, good enough. You know, I think that um, no one is going to argue that eating more fruits and vegetables (laughs) is a bad thing or getting more plants in your life is a bad thing. You know, Um, so, so, I really want to express that, you know, I'm not trying to convince athletes to go plant-based, but I want to be here as somebody who is plant-based and who has done really well and knows what mistakes that you might make. And I can help you kind of course correct. So, um, So yeah, so I think there are a lot of other people that are better positioned, you know, doctors and scientists and, you know, to really talk about um, the benefits of why it's so awesome. I am just here to help you put it in practice. So
0: I love that. Perfect. So maybe we can start. What are some of the things people do wrong when it comes to fueling for fueling for running in particular. And these can be mistakes that even people that aren't plant-based make, because I think there's probably a lot of misconceptions in the running community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what people do, so first of all, at the beginning, a lot of people get into running because it's a great way to lose weight, or they think it's a great way to lose weight. And it can be, that's why I started, you know, I was just trying to get in shape for my high school reunion. It works if you, if you do it right. But the trick comes when people start training for performance and they still have that weight loss mentality. So the plant-based lifestyle can be great for weight loss if that's your goal, because you can eat a huge volume of food with lots of fiber and you'll be very, very full and they won't be very calorie dense foods. So you can end up calorie restricting without feeling like you're restricting because you're eating a big volume of food. If you try to do that as a runner, that's not going to feel really good. If you've got, you know, a belly full of, you know, salad and potatoes, you know, it's, it's not going to feel good, um, while you run. And so what people end up doing is under They end up not eating enough and that can be, um, you know, twofold on a plant-based diet because, You know, a lot of people come to the plant-based diet because it is healthy and people really want to be healthy and they want to exercise and all of this. And then people tend either accidentally or, or intentionally take it too far. And once you underfuel, you know, the first thing that's going to go wrong is your performance. You're not going to get the most out of your running. You're not going to perform as well. You're not going to recover as well. You're not going to build muscle properly. You know, all sorts of performance things will eventually start to happen. But then if you take it too far all sorts of injury issues start to happen. You know, osteoporosis at a young age, you, you know, muscle tears, your tendons don't strengthen enough to be able to handle all the running. So, you know, so the biggest thing is if you are running for performance, you really need to pay attention to fueling. If you're running for weight loss, that needs to be a different time period. So I don't recommend that somebody whose goal is to lose weight, go train for a marathon. That's not a good idea. That's not actually the best use of your time. (laughs) You know, that's a lot of running and not necessarily going to get you the results you want. So you really need to look at your goals and see how to fuel for your activity level.
0: That's very helpful. And I appreciate you just being so clear on that. So having your best running performance, having the fastest race time that you like for you is not always conducive with weight loss. So
1: teasing that out, so important. So it's really pervasive in the running culture because we think of runners as these very lean, thin, light machines that are just, you know, you got to be thin to win. And we are finally learning that that's not a hundred percent true anymore. There's a range and even the elites are speaking out on this. And it's like, no, you do not have to be 98 pounds to be the fastest runner. You can have a range. Obviously, if you're, you know, very overweight, you're not going to be able to perform at a high level. Of course it is physics to some extent, but it's not about being your skinniest to be your fastest. That's not going to work either.
0: No, thank you for pointing that out. Um, I, a little bit later in the conversation, I do want to ask your opinion on strength training and such, which I think goes along with that, where you want to be strong. You don't necessarily want to be skinny, but maybe we'll come back to that. Um, Touching back on, you were mentioning, it's so important to fuel for your runs and not just go out and run. Like, that's so important. But My question is, do you, a lot of runners, they like to just get up early, jump out the door, go for a run, hit the treadmill without eating anything first. And what is your opinion on this? Is fasted running ever beneficial or is this like counterintuitive to someone?
1: I I am not a fan. I am not (laughs) a fan at all. Um, A lot of the science on fasted, um, fasted anything has been done on men, um, a lot of, and, and even if you are a man, um, you know, recently, some of the fasted research is coming back that it's not necessarily as beneficial as everybody had said it was earlier, but that being said, Um, so what happens when you, you run fasted? So you wake up in the morning and you go ahead out the door. Okay. So if you're doing a 30 minute run, do you need to eat? Of course not. You have plenty of calories on board to power that 30 minute easy run. You're not going to die. Bad things are not going to happen. But what you're doing is you're actually setting yourself up to be in a bigger hole for recovery then you would have if you had just grabbed a graham cracker or just put a half a banana in your body and went for the run. So when you run fasted, your brain thinks that you're starving and you're, be, and you're running away from a saber tooth tiger or whatever, you know? And so it increases your level of cortisol, which cortisol has a purpose, but if cortisol levels are raised too long, it It teaches the body, oh, no, we're in danger of starvation. Let's hold on to fat. Let's not worry about building muscle right now because we're in danger. In fact, get rid of muscle because we don't need that. We need to survive. It puts you, fasted training puts you in survival mode. And so sure, yes, you can do that. But if you do that on a regular basis, you're teaching your body it's okay to be in a panic state all the time, which I would argue it's not. And the next reason you want to fuel every single run is to teach your stomach how to handle, handle food. If you are interested in racing anything longer than about 5k or 10k, you are going to have to fuel while you are running. And if you try to do that only on race day without practicing it, your, your stomach most likely is not going to be able to handle that. So teaching your body how to run fueled every single run is incredibly important if you are are looking for performance.
0: Awesome. Thank you for being so clear on that. I know myself personally I'm I'm guilty. I like to just get up, I'm not essentially like hungry, I feel good, go for a run, but you're right. It's probably not great long term and I know like I'm aware there's a lot of research coming out and you mentioned it as well, just it's not great for female hormones, and it, it's Mm-mm. it's a whole <laughs> swath of con- consequences there.
1: And a lot of people say, "I don't have time. I wake up at four in the morning, and I'm out the door. I don't have time." And I would argue mm-hmm. that you do have time to put a medjool date in your mouth. You do have time to have a saltine. You do have time to, you know, maybe you like drinking Gatorade. Have a Gatorade. Have some orange juice. You know, if you can't handle something solid, try something liquid, you know, tiny little steps, even I'm talking 50 calories to start and just see how it goes. See if you can, you know, in a couple of weeks, work up to a hundred and then, you know, and on and on. And, And it will depend on how long you are exercising for. If you're only going out for 30 minutes, no, you don't need a whole lot but again, it's the habit. It's teaching your body that it's not in danger. There is fuel on board. We're not starving ourselves. This is normal. <laughs> and and you're not in a panic mode. So it's I, it's really important. Okay.
0: No, thank you. And I think what you emphasize there is it doesn't have to be, you don't have to get up and have your giant breakfast. It could be just right. be like a quick, like 100 calories. And then you can still have your breakfast and your refuel afterwards. which is like something. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, Switching gears a little bit from nutrition into maybe some of the details about actual training for running. So let's say someone contacts you for training. They already have a little bit of running experience, but they want to take their performance to the next level, hit a PR. What are some of the biggest mistakes people currently make when it comes to their training that you see off the bat that you like, what is one of the first things you correct? I know that's a pretty broad question, but no, it's an easy,
1: it's an easy question. The vast majority of beginner runners and a lot of intermediate runners, the vast majority of them run their easy runs too fast, or they run all their runs at the same speed. So aerobic development is what we are looking for in long distance running. Yes. We want to work on speed. Yes. There are some, you know, there's more, there's more nuance than that, but the energy system that you're using to propel long distance running is your aerobic system. So with oxygen. So every time you run, you want to be able to capture all the oxygen you can in your lungs and start the process of converting it into energy to your muscles. And the more efficient that process is, the better prepared you are to do that. The faster you can run, the longer you can run, the more stamina you can run. So, the marathon is 99% aerobic. You know, the 10 K is not like 85 to 90% aerobic. So the best way to develop your aerobic system is to run very easy and easy is not a level of difficulty. Easy is an effort. It is, um, you know, sometimes your easy days aren't going to feel fun and easy, But easy should mean slow and relaxed, and we should be able to have a conversation if we were jogging next to each other, just like we are now. Another good test of easy is to close your mouth. If you can run only breathing out of your nose for several minutes, don't do it the whole time unless you're really practicing breath work, which some people get into. But it's just a test of easy. If you can do that, you are running slow enough for it to be aerobic. And that is the vast majority of training. So not only do we want to build our aerobic systems, but we want to be able to train the next day. So if you are running at a sort of medium pace, it's not slow enough to be easy, but it's not hard enough to actually develop your speed. The next day, you're not going to be recovered enough to be able to run your speed day well. So You're um, kind of diminishing both workouts. So you're not getting aerobic development and you're not going hard enough on your speed days. So the, the real mantra for people to remember is hard days, hard, easy days, easy, which is also known as polarized training. So you want those really easy days to be super, super slow and boring. And then your fast days, you have enough energy to go hard.
0: Okay, that's this is so good. I really wanted to actually get into some of this because in your book you talk about this a lot how like running slow is actually one of the best ways to get faster over the long term. And it seems so counterintuitive, but you explained it so well there. So, is your are your slow runs is that the same as like the zone 2 training that like word that we hear thrown out there?
1: Yes and no. I don't love zone 2 training. I don't I mean, I yes the concept of it is is true but a lot of that relies on heart rate and so heart rate training is really problematic for a lot of reasons first the first and foremost is The formula is 220 beats per minute minus your age. That's supposed to be your um, maximum heart rate. So that's saying all 40-year-olds have the same heart rate. All 30-year-olds have the same max heart rate. That, of course, we know is ridiculous. So everybody is on some part of the bell curve, right? So you don't know if you have a low heart rate or a high heart rate. So just right there, the formula is really problematic and oversimplified. But the next part of it is that so many things affect heart rate. So the temperature, the weather, how much stress you had, what you ate today, um, did you fight with your spouse? Um, (laughs) You know, there's so many things that affect heart rate. So one day you could be running what you think is easy. And it could be 140 beats a minute. The next day, it could be 125 beats a minute. So if I'm trying to tell you, based on your age and what I think of your training, that an easy run should be, I don't know, 130 beats per minute, that will work for some people for sure. But it's not going to work for the rest of the people. So I find that it's really problematic to do that. And then you know, back to the individuality part of it, some people just exercise hot. You know, and I'm one of them. So I run a marathon at 175 beats per minute, which for most people would be what they would run for a 5K. That would be a very high heart rate for three hours of exercise. But for me, that's just what's normal for me. Um, I think if we are talking about heart rate, where it is helpful, it's helpful to spot trends. Um, So if you're running along and you know that when you run easy, it's 140 beats per minute, And one day you're out there running at the exact same pace and you look at your watch and it's 180, maybe something's wrong with your heart or maybe something's wrong with your watch. So that's another thing. Heart rate monitors um, are problematic. They're not as accurate as you think. And then the last part is that, um, there's something called cardiac drift. So your heart rate right now is not actually a reflection of what you're doing right now. It's a reflection of what you just did. Mm -hmm. So when you're running super hard and then you calm down, relax, you have your cool down a couple of miles or so your watch, your heart rate is going to reflect what you did during the workout, not what you're doing in that easy cool down. And so you know, looking at your heartbeat or heart rate in the moment is problematic. So it can be helpful to look at afterward. Anyway, so is that zone two running? Back to your question, um, yes, yes. So slightly harder than easy, but I would say that you could even get away with zone one. You know, if you're starting out, just just move and breathe. Even walking is aerobic enough to help you become a better runner.
0: Okay. Yeah. There's so much in there. And I think like myself included, I get caught up. I've been trying to incorporate more supposedly zone two running. Like I've been doing two hours a week trying to keep my heart rate like below 140. And some days it's, I can run like six miles per hour in the treadmill and it's, I'm fine. And other days I'm like, I cannot keep my heart rate down without walking. And it's frustrating. So I like Mm -hmm. your approach to that effort-based like perception versus like being like glued to your heart rate monitor on your Garmin, which might not be accurate in the first place.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and even if you're not going on heart, you're, if you're if you're going on something else, you're trying to figure out what your effort is. Your easy pace is going to be different every single day. You know, if you just ran, I don't know, fifteen miles yesterday, and then tomorrow you're going out for a recovery run, that's going to be a lot slower than the day after a rest day. You know, so. Your pace is going to go up and down. Your heart rate is going to go up and down. So what we really try to teach people is lock in on the effort. What does easy feel like? And better than heart rate is your breathing. So that's why we do the talk test. Can you have a conversation like we're having right now? Some people like to count their steps. So a really easy breathing cadence would be three steps as you inhale, three steps as you exhale. Some people even do four, you know, Um, but if you're breathing two steps as you breathe in and one step as you breathe out, that's a hard breathing, you know, cadence. So save that for your harder effort. So anyway, there are other ways besides just pace and heart rate to determine effort. Okay,
0: so cool. I love this. Um, last question on the, the slow training. Um, so for your typical athletes, whether they're training for like a 5k, a 10k, half or a full marathon, is it very personable about like how many easy runs a week they'll have? Or is this something that's pretty standard between whatever someone's training for?
1: Um, No, it's going to vary. It's going to be depending on your fitness level, your experience and your lifestyle. You know, even if you had a super high fitness level, you might not have time to work out seven days a week. So I really for me. The minimum for the, you know, 95% of the people I I coach is you need to be running four days a week. You really need to be running four days a week to get the adaptations, um, to be able to run anything I would say above a 10 K you can get away with three days a week if you're really dedicated to, um, cross training. So if you're a triathlete or, you know, you're on the bike, you're swimming, you're doing something else aerobic. You can get away with three days a week, but I would say most people, um, four days a week for most like normal recreational athletes is where you want to be. If you are more advanced five or six days, um, very few people can handle running seven days a week, or at least, you know, for very long. Yes. The elites do it. They run doubles. They run 14 times a week. Um, they're, you know, I'm not saying you can't, but the vast majority of people absolutely need a rest day. And if it's not every seven days, it should be every 10 days at least, or every 14 days, something like that. So, you know, maybe if you're 25 years old and you you know, you, you've been super fit all your life, you can handle, you know, no rest days or whatever. But I think that is kind of a dangerous, um, mentality, to never have a rest day. And especially with how high impact running is, um, you know, your lungs could definitely outrun your legs if, if you spend a lot of time doing aerobic things. And so you might feel great and you're like, I can run forever. I'm so great at this. And then you break something or you pull something or you get an overuse injury. So the, the impact forces of running are really, really high. And, you know, somewhere between 50 to 70% of runners get injured every single year. And it's usually from doing too much too soon. So I would say very few people can handle more than six days a week. And I would say very few people do well on less than four days a week, okay.
0: That's helpful. And I think that just reiterates the importance of personalizing a training plan and doing what works for you and perhaps hiring a coach. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely okay. Another question I have and something that stood out to me as I was reading through your book, is typically most training plans, like, have this long, slow run once a week where it'll be like longer mileage. Um, and I heard you recommend that this like long, slow run should max out at three hours. Can you just explain why? Because I think some people think, oh, I'm training for a marathon.
1: I have to be running the marathon distance prior to the race, but maybe that's not the case. It is definitely not the case. Um, do not run 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers. Don't do that in training or you're going to leave your race in training. So Mm -hmm. to run more than three hours. So basically what happens when you run more than three hours, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world if you run 330 or or whatever. But what happens is you start to get diminishing returns. So the benefits of aerobic development start to go down. Um, Your risk of injury starts to go up because you're getting tired. You start shuffling. Your form is starting to fall apart. You are starting to kind of crumble a little bit. You're not running, you know, super energetically with great form like you were at hour one. And so if you keep going longer and longer you're basically the risk of injury goes up and the benefit goes down. So a smarter way to train is to break up that long run. The way that I like to do it is to do a shorter run with a tiny bit of speed the day before. So it's a steady run. It's like a medium effort run. It's not hard, but it's just a little faster than easy. And you do that the day before and then you do your long run. And so it's not like you're starting your long run at mile zero, you're starting it at mile six or mile five, or, you know, you're adding those two runs together and that better simulates a long, a longer long run than actually running it all at once. So you're, the thing that, that people confuse is you're not just Training as if it's a dress rehearsal every time. You know, the fastest sprinters in the world, they don't just sprint, they do a lot of other things to prepare them for race day. You don't just practice race day every single day, that just doesn't work that way. You need to develop the systems that you need. And one of the systems, again, is you need to have that aerobic base. So long runs do that. Your legs need to be durable enough to run a long distance. A three hour run will do that, but you don't, you know, running for five hours, even if your marathon will take you five hours, this is nothing against slower runners. But if you are running for five hours at a time, you're just breaking down more. And so then the next day when you go train, you're going to have to rest harder. You know, you're going to maybe not be able to do a speed work, speed workout for two or three days. So that pushes that down the line, or you try to do a speed workout two or three days later, and you can't run that fast because you just ran six hours on a Saturday. You know, it's, it's not putting the pieces together of your training effectively. So You know, I get a lot of pushback about this all the time. And people are like, well, I run six hours for the marathon. If I stop at three hours, how am I going to be mentally prepared? I'm not going to know if I'm going to be able to do it or not. And you know what? Yeah, when you're doing something new, you never know if you're going to be able to do the thing or not. But we are putting the things together in training that build you up to be the athlete that you could potentially be. We're not adding in things that tear you down. So yes, if you need a five-hour long run to mentally tell yourself, yes, you can do it, sure, throw that in there. But if you do it every weekend, you're sabotaging your training. Okay.
0: So train smarter not necessarily longer or harder. I like that. Yeah. If- more
1: frequent, you know, chop mm-hmm. up your running. This is not saying run fewer miles or run less time. Just don't do it all at once. Okay.
0: So, okay. What if someone's training for a longer race than a marathon, like a 50 K a 50 miler, mm-hmm. would you still recommend the same approach? Like almost chop 100- it up pre fatigue. percent. Then- okay, cool.
1: So, you know, Camille Heron is one of the best ultra runners in the world ever, male or female. And she just came out with that she her long run stops at um, two and a half hours. And this is somebody who runs 200 mile races. You know, this is somebody who runs for 24 hours and she trains like a marathoner. She does not go over 2.5 hours. And yes, she's running doubles. She is running hundred miles a week. This is not necessarily advice that you can 100% transfer to a normal recreational runner but the but the overarching theme is stop doing things that are breaking you down more than building you up running in the woods for 6 hours friday and saturday or whatever that is not really preparing you your body for the rigors of the race it's yes sure i get the mental aspect of it that can be helpful but it's really tearing you down more than building you up okay
0: no, thank you. That's so helpful. It's good to hear it from someone like an authority, like a running coach, you know? That's yeah. helpful. Um, okay, coming back to my question about like running slow makes you faster. What are some other ways to get faster? Um, is running cadence important?
1: Okay, so that definitely two different questions there. So okay. yes, so 80% of your running should be slow. The other 20% should be speed. So if you okay. didn't do any speed work at all, if you just jogged all the time you would naturally become a faster runner absolutely because of your aerobic capacity would increase your muscles tendons would all develop but you need if you really want to take it to the next level you have to add speed and and honestly even if you don't care about speed you should still add a little bit of speed work to um your running because it you know as we age we lose power we lose explosiveness we lose strength and faster running can help preserve that and develop it so the 20% of your week that should be devel- uh, dedicated to speed work it's not all race till you puke kind of speed work. In fact, don't do that at all. Um, (laughs) Some of it is going to be what we call tempo running, which is like a medium high effort. So basically a tempo run is designed to build your stamina. So how can, how long can you run at what speed to, you know, kind of stretch out your higher end? And then you want to add in some interval work. So This is what you do at the track or something that you do um, at the park on someplace flat, someplace where you're not going to get interrupted by cars, you know, pulling out of driveways. Um, So it's short interval training broken up by rest periods. So rest could be jogging or it could be walking. So you wanna spice it up and have a workout that challenges your upper end speed. So a million different workouts that we could talk about but um you know for the most part speed goes a long way you don't need that much and too much will break you so you don't want to do too much and distance runners very rarely need to go all out all out is not something we do it's not something we need okay. we want to go 90% our goal is to make every workout, get to the end of every workout, not being forced to slow. We want to start off slow and continue the entire workout the whole way because effort is rising. The longer you run hard. And so you need to sandbag at the beginning to keep the last interval strong.
0: Okay. That was another thing that stood out to me. Is like, don't kill yourself on the first interval because you might have to do six, eight, 10 of these. Yes. So it's better to be consistent throughout your intervals, right? Than just like, yes.
1: <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even splits are better than fast splits because yeah, we know that you can run hard at the beginning of a workout at the beginning of the race. It's whether you can do it at the end that really matters.
0: Okay. And then another technique you had taught, like talked about that I hadn't heard of before is running strides to become faster. Can you just explain what this technique is? Cause I was very fascinated.
1: Okay. So strides are like these little magic potion that you take every week and it absolutely helps everything you do. So a stride is, um, Fast running for a short period of time, I typically assign people to do 20 second strides, so four 20 second strides after an easy run. So you're warmed up by your easy run, you know, maybe you went out for three or four miles and you stop, you get a drink, you get that heart rate down, you get the breathing down. And then you're going to run hard for 20 seconds, but you're not going to just sprint off the line, you know, as fast as possible. It's an arc. So think of a bell curve. You're going to start for the first five seconds building. When you get into the middle 10 seconds, you're at a very, very high speed, just short of all out. And then for the last five seconds, you're coming back down. And all that is, is 10 seconds. Once you're done, you stop for one or two minutes, stand there, don't jog around get your breath back, and then do it again. So four to six times. Um, And what strides do, it's not about how fast you run, even though it's very fast running. What it's teaching your body to do is run fast. So you're teaching your brain and your legs to talk to each other. You're learning what kind of form you need to run as fast as you can. So you can't, you know, have the elbows all out here. And, you know, you're teaching yourself once a week or twice a week what it takes to run fast. But the beauty of it is these really short bites of fast running, you don't need recovery from the next day. It's not like you went and did a hard track workout. You just did this little bit of short running and it re-emphasized those um, neuromuscular connections between your brain and your legs. And so when you do it on the track, your brain's like, oh, I know how to run fast because I practice this every week. So those are great.
0: Awesome, I'm definitely going to start incorporating those in my training, too. Mm-hmm. And I what I think I love about your approach is there's so like you really apply the science and the evidence to it. And it's not necessarily just like trying to kill your athletes day after day. It's about like focusing on how to actually make people better and then being able to train the next day like it's very absolutely. very good
1: absolutely because yeah. there's you know, there's very little merit in, you know, Training super hard and then ending up on the couch. It's all, you know, I like to say you're like building a house. It's one brick at a time. You know, it's not sexy. It's a lot of boring running. You know, there's a lot of slow runs. So figure out what you love about it. Maybe you listen to podcasts, maybe you listen to music, whatever it is to get you through all the boring stuff. And, you know, and then in a year or in two years or however long it takes, you turn around and you look at how far you've. You've come and it's amazing, but the day-to-day stuff is just like getting good at anything in life. It's consistent work, um, just a little bit every day. And, you know, if you kill yourself on day one or day seven, you're never going to do it. So, you know, you've got to make it sustainable And that's the way the body prefers. Anyway, the body hates massive change. It will revolt. If you, you know, try to go on a 500 calorie diet or something, your body's going to be like, Whoa, I'm starving. I'm going to hold on to every calorie, you know, your body hates being changed. It likes the status quo. And so you have to sneak up on your fitness with these really slow changes. But, you know, I promise you, if you stick with it, you're going to have some massive results. No, very cool.
0: Um, switching a little bit, I want to quickly ask you about strength training and your approach mm. to this. Um, so in your book, you talk about you actually recommend that athletes strength train on the days that are their hardest running days yeah why do you recommend this? That
1: sounds brutal to go do
0: a crazy run and then have to go to the gym afterwards
1: yes, it's very brutal and it's because I like torture no I'm joking <laughs> um the reason is is back to what we talked at the beginning you want to keep your hard days hard and your easy days mm-hmm. easy so let's say you did a long run you know you're out there for two hours and then the next day you go to the gym and you you know you lift for an hour and then the next day you've got a speed day and then after that you do Leg work for an hour, you are never, ever recovering. And so you're, you're diminishing both workouts. So you're not getting the recovery time from your long run to be able to lift well. And then you're not um, recovering from the lifting to be able to do your speed work well. And it just is a, it's a cycle. So it is far better to do your long run and then come home, get something to eat, you know, and maybe you have uh, four or five hours in between, or if you don't have time, you can do it right away. Um, then you do a leg workout or you do some kind of lifting. And what that does is it concentrates all your hard efforts on that one day. And then mm. the next day you can take off or just run very easy, depending on your fitness level. And then you can absorb all that training. You have time to recover, eat, sleep well, all of that sort of thing. So. Yes, it does make that second workout harder, of course, but that's okay because we're not trying to be bodybuilders. We're trying to be runners. And so if our uh, strength training workout is diminished because we just ran long, that's okay. We're just trying to, we're trying not to be weak. We're not trying to be super, super, super strong. So that's okay. But if, if your lifestyle doesn't allow that, or if you are just too exhausted, I get it. You don't have to do that. The next best option is to do it first thing the next day. So if you run long on Saturday, then first thing Sunday morning, get up and do a half an hour of lifting and then take the rest of Sunday off. So you're still concentrating Mm -hmm. your heavy efforts or your hard efforts in a smaller window. And then Monday would be easy, you know, whether that's an easy run or maybe you just do arms in the gym or, or whatever, something like that. And then on your speed days, you, you really want to do the same thing. So let's say you go to the track, you're doing 400 meter intervals, you worked really hard and you know, that evening you can do a strength session because then Wednesday you're going to have a rest day or an off day. So basically you're concentrating your hard efforts in order to stretch out your recovery time. Because we don't build at the gym or while we're running. We build when we're resting. So resting is the priority after you work hard.
0: Okay, perfect. So much strategy. Um, and then because a lot of runners, they don't want to do a ton of strength training, what do you think is like the minimum effective dose for strict training? Like we're talking days per week. We don't have to get into details, but what yeah. do you suggest?
1: Yeah. Well, so I'm just happy when you do it. You know, (laughs) I've talked about what's ideal. You can actually mix it up however you want. You know, you can do 10 minutes every day. You can do 30 minutes twice a week. You know, you can, I would say for a marathon runner, half marathoner, you want to at least be doing 60 minutes a week and not all at once, not one hour once a week. I would say split that up into two 30 minute sessions throw in a 15 minute session. So really the minimum is anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes a week, but you can break that up.
0: Perfect. Thank you for sharing all that. I know we're starting to run short on time here, but just have one last question for you. And it's, I live in Edmonton. It's cold out during the winter. I do a lot of treadmill running. How do you feel about treadmill running? And like, what's your approach? Is it, is it good for you? Bad for you? Should we run on incline? How do you suggest
1: yeah, treadmill running is great. It is um okay. if you have a treadmill, you are lucky to have one because you can train in any kind of weather. It is yes, there are some differences between running outside and running inside, for the most part it's inconsequential. Um you can train just as hard just as well on the treadmill. I trained for one of my very best marathons mostly on the treadmill because we had a really bad winter, super snowy. And you can actually get better training inside on a treadmill than you can with four feet of snow on the ground. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's safer to run on a treadmill versus snow and ice, or when it's really, really hot outside. So the treadmill is your friend. And for all of those people that hate it, I would try to reframe um, what it is. It is a tool that you are lucky to have if your goal is to keep running. So That is, uh, you know, if you don't like the treadmill, distract yourself, um, watch TV, reward yourself with junky binge watching, whatever it is, but it is absolutely just fine for your training as far as the incline goes. So there uh, are, it's, it's really a myth. Um, It's, it's not exactly a myth, but People say that you should raise the incline 1% in order to compensate for the lack of um, air resistance Mm. that you would have running outside. And that is true only if you're going faster than um, 708 minutes per mile. And I can't do the math right now to (laughs) switch that to kilometers, but it's pretty fast. Um, (laughs) So, only if you're running very fast does the incline actually matter as far as making it equivalent to outside. A better choice is to get a fan because that feels good anyway. Um, But use the incline for hills. If you're going to do hill work, absolutely use the incline. And some people find that raising the incline actually helps them feel better on the treadmill, something about their form. They like running on a little bit of uh, incline. If that's you, go for it. I'm not saying don't do it, but it's, it's not necessary. Okay.
0: Good to hear. And I'm glad you're a treadmill fan because mm-hmm. that's all I have sometimes.
1: <laughs> yes. Go for it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Perfect. This has been so good. I, there's so much more I wanted to ask you about, um, but I know we're short on time. So I really recommend everyone pick up your book. But one thing, just as we're closing out, is there anything you'd like people listening to take away from this conversation or any like lasting like final thought you'd like to leave people
1: with? Yeah. I mean, I've had a great time talking with you. If anybody wants to connect with me, I'm the planted runner everywhere. So my website's theplantedrunner.com. Um, my book is called the planted runner and Instagram planted runner. I share a lot of free tips. Um, I send out weekly tips. Um, and I also have a free nutrition guide for runners if Ooh. you're interested. So if Perfect. people would like to grab it, it's just a Super simple um, PDF that's really helpful in figuring out what you should eat before, during, or after a run. And you can grab that at com slash join, J-O-I-N.
0: Okay, perfect. And for everyone listening, I'll link all those to the bottom, your Instagram, your YouTube, your website. And is there a specific place you'd like people to get your book? Is Is off your website or Amazon?
1: Um, you can get it anywhere, um, that books are sold. Perfect. You can get it directly from my publisher on my website. So that's the slash book, but, um, you know, Amazon every, everywhere it's, it's available. It's great.
0: Okay. Perfect. And then if people want to work with you, if they wanted to potentially hire you or do one of your training plans, that's all on your website as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in training plans, it's, um, I do fully custom training plans. So it has all your strength, all your mental strength work, which is just as important. And, um, of course, all your training, you can get those for any kind of race that you're doing or just general training. And that's the slash plans. And then if you are interested in private one-on-one coaching or joining my team, I have a team coaching. Um, you can either go to theplantedrunner.com slash group or um, just send me an email. I'm Claire at the Planted Runner.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Claire. I appreciate your time today. I'm sorry we had some technical difficulties, but um, that's okay. I've that's been there. The life. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Well, enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again. I have enjoyed this conversation, and I learned so much. Yeah, thank you, Cass. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope it was valuable to you. Please remember to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and links to connect with our guest. If you would like to support what I am doing, the best way to help me grow the show is to subscribe, of course, but also share it with your friends and family or on social media. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can also leave a five-star review and or a comment. A special thank you, as always, to Tyler Gatto for composing the theme music for the podcast and to Wyatt Pavlik for the excellent audio engineering each and every episode. So until next time, keep training hard, keep eating plants, and take care.